Welcome to the Start Me Up podcast, part of the Demcast Network. I'm Kimberly Johnson, still quarantined in D.C. and probably will be for some time. And my guest today is actor Jim Piddick. Now, you've seen him in everything. I mean, he was in Mad About You, Independence Day, The Drew Carey Show, Coach, Murder, She Wrote, one of the Lord of the Rings movies, Friends. He was in Christopher Guest movies, Best in Show, Mascots, and A Mighty Wind. Um, He's from England. He's funny and... He, like me, enjoys profanity, so that's good. He's also a Hollywood liberal elitist, which he says in his Twitter bio, which I absolutely appreciate. (laughs) So I'm really looking forward to talking to him. Uh, We're going to have a great show. We're going to talk a little bit about his acting career. We're going to talk about um, COVID, and then we will also just talk about politics because, of course, we're going to talk about politics. Um, But before we get into it, I'll just give a little tiny update on the birds that are living on my door in between my wreath and my door. They are growing. And from what I've, what I can determine, I think they will be gone by either Monday or Thursday of next week. So I'm, I'm slightly nervous because I saw this video on finches. I believe they're finches. And I saw this video that chronicled the life of like, you know, from, from egg to fleeing the nest. So a day or two before they flee the nest, they're pretty big. They look like small birds. So the thing that worries me is when I open the door to my home, I have to open it in from, you know, it it comes inside. The door comes inside. It doesn't open out to the outside. So if one of these little birds freaks out and jumps before they're ready to fly, or even if at that point they're ready to fly and they're flying all around my home, that's going to freak me out. And then, you know, I don't want anybody to fall or get hurt or anything. So we're just like, we're in the, we're in the countdown now. I think all eggs had hatched by last Friday. And again, that means like Monday or Tuesday of next week would be when they all leave. And once they're gone, they don't return. So I'll have to clean the door is so effing gross. It's so disgusting the toxic sludge that these birds leave. It's so gross that, I mean, I, it's going to be hard for me to clean it because I'm going to be gagging, but I'm going to have to put on like major protective gear because I know it's literally toxic. So, um, but they are growing up and it's so cute because when you tap on the door ever so lightly right next to the nest, all the little babies' heads just spring up and their mouths open because they want food. So it's kind of sweet. And, and when I don't pester them by knocking on the door, which I only do like once a day just because I want to see them, they're just sleeping. So, and it's so hot outside and I'm sure they're fine and everything, but it's just like, oh my God, they're all huddled in that nest and it's so freaking hot and humid. But anyway, so there's the update on the birds. Um, hopefully they'll leave sooner than later and hopefully I won't have to worry about them falling on our floor or anything like that. Cause that would be scary. Um, let's see, I guess that's it. Uh, start me up is an independent podcast supported by listeners and it's woman run. That's me. And I don't use corporate backers, and I, I'm not using advertisers. I'm sure you might be listening to some other podcasts out there. They're using advertisers, and you don't have to worry about that with me at this point. It might come later, but it, you know, my goal is to build this show up enough that I never use advertisers. That way, you don't have to, you know, quickly get through the, you know, click through that 15 second thing until you're finished with it. Because I know that's what a lot of people do. Sometimes you have to listen to it because you're in the car. You don't have to do that with me, except for this part right here. So um, anyway, patrons keep this show going. And you know that I am ever so grateful for all my patrons. I love doing this show. But if you enjoy today's show, take a look at the front page of my Patreon and just look at some of the past guests. I've interviewed political pundits, writers, authors, 
so many different people, lawyers, former federal, federal prosecutors. Mostly we talk about politics, but when I interview actors, we also talk about their craft because I used to be an actor. So it's really simple. There are tiers, and you don't have to stick with any particular tier. You could sign up for any dollar amount you want, but like, let's say you sign up for two bucks a month. Then you get... Um, all the free shows delivered to your email box, which I do shows every Monday and Wednesday. Now, I also do patrons-only shows. That's just for patrons, and I do that twice a month. So right at this moment, if you're a, a patron for $4 or less, you're going to get one of those shows, one of those patrons-only shows a month. If you are signed up with f- for $5 or more per month, you're going to get both of those patrons only shows. So that's how it works. But you're free to sign up for like, you know, $10 a month or 15 or 25 or 40 or whatever you're comfortable with, whatever you like. Um, you just visit patreon.com slash start me up. And uh, you won't even it's, it's really easy two bucks, you won't even miss it. You can also do what some people like to do, which is if you visit the Patreon description of this show, you'll find my email address and you can pay, you could do a PayPal one-time donation thing. And then don't forget, you can find Start Me Up on iTunes, Stitcher, and wherever podcasts are found. Please, 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 please stop by iTunes slash Apple Podcasts and give me a rating. I've got 99. I want to get up to the three digits now. So thank you for everybody who's done that. But if you give me a rating and you subscribe, it's totally free and you can also give me a review. I love reviews and they're free. So that that's always helpful and I always appreciate it. But as I always say, thank you so much to all my patrons. I love doing the show and I'm so excited that I get to talk to people like Jim Pittick and talk about politics and acting and, and body image and whatever we're going to talk about uh, on the show. I love it. I have the gift of gab if you haven't noticed. <laughs> so thank you. Now, please enjoy my conversation with actor Jim Pittick. Hello, Jim Pittick, Hollywood liberal elite. (laughs) (laughs) Own it. I I, I did say your name correctly, didn't I? Yeah. Good, 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 good. I I, I forgot to ask you. I love that elite has become a dirty word. I know. know, I mean, it's become synonymous with what it really means is education. Right. Anyone who's (laughs) termed elitist is... Someone who actually just has an education. Yes. And if that means I'm an elite, I'm, I'll, I'll embrace it. Well, see, that's what I feel about the word slut. Uh, the Republicans like to call women who use birth control and enjoy sex sluts. So fine, call me a slut. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> and I called you I called you an elite because you have that in your bio, your Twitter bio. So I just figured I'd, I'd throw that out there. <laughs> yeah. Oh my, well, okay. There's so many questions I have for you, and I'm so thrilled that you're joining me today. Um, I just have to, I have to tell you a quick little story. I do want to talk to you about Best in Show, but we're mm-hmm. going to wait for a minute before we get there. But before we get there, I just have to share with you the fact that uh, Michael Higgins, who is also known as John Michael Higgins, uh, was my acting coach in Maryland. I used to live in, like, first I lived in Maryland when I was, uh, up until I was nine years old. Then my mother took us out to Southern California. I was in Southern California until 2009, and then I moved to Northern California, and then in 2018, I moved back to the East Coast, where I'm originally from. So um, for my summers, I would come out and stay with my dad, and my stepmom had signed me up for this acting class, and Michael was the coach. And Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and, and it was 
cool because for two years in a row, the first year was like, a, I think it was like a six week course. And then, and this is all about me. This whole interview will be about you, but I'm just getting this out of the way. <laughs> but anyway, so yeah. the first... I didn't know Michael did acting class. He's he's such a wonderfully talented oh man. Oh my God, I know. He's um, so funny. And, and and I'm surprised he has the time to, to do any classes. Well, this was back in when I was 14 and, well, 15 and 16. So this was a while, this was before he was famous. Um, yeah, yeah. But he, anyway, so... I th- the first, like I said, the first class, the first summer was about a six-week class, and it was four days a week, and there was another tall blonde in my class, and we completely fell in love with him, like like the way that 15-year-old girls fall in love with guys who are older. <laughs> it was, like, obsessive. Yeah. It's all we ever talked about. We were so obsessed with him, and he, t- and he knew it, too. And um, the following year, it, uh, it was, like, a week class, and it was away at a college, and my behavior was... T- I look back and I cringe. I was so freaking stupid. And then I like follow, like I, for some reason I had his mother's phone number and for years I would like call his mom and I'd be like, Hey, I'm Kimberly. I'm Michael's student. And, um, wh- wh- what's his number? And she'd always give me his number. And then I'd call him and, I, and he was nice to me, but I'm sure he was just like, Oh my God, leave me alone. I even referred to myself as the student that wouldn't go away. Eventually I did go away, but it's funny because, um, you know, we will tie it in with the best in show thing, but, I just, you know, I was an actress in Hollywood for a while. I was on a soap opera. Uh, certainly didn't work as much as you did, but I do have kind of an understanding of that industry. So um, I looked at your IMBD. You've got a million credits. So that's off- obviously impressive. But I know, let's, let's start off with the fact that you... And I was never a teenage stalker. <laughs> <laughs> I totally was. Um, so you grew up in England, correct? I did, yeah. I left England when I was 24. Oh, that's me. Um, that's terrible. How, un- how unprofessional. Um, that's okay. It, it's, God, why do people call me all the time? Um, You're so popular. And I, I just want to be left alone sometimes. Um, not, not with you, though. Um, so, uh, yes, I, I left when I was very young, 24. I, I actually came over for three months to... Uh, to direct a couple of things hmm. at the drama school, which I'd been to in London, opened up in Berkeley. So I came out for three months to direct a couple of shows for them. I was only 24. Wow. I, I barely started my acting career. And then I did a one-man show in San Francisco really? that kind of took off in a, in a way. That's so cool. As, so is that basically how you... Uh, well, how did you get started? I mean, obviously you said you went to drama school in England. So what was... Yeah. Like, what, get, what motivated you? I mean... Did you know very early on that you wanted to be an actor? Did you just know that you're creative? Yeah, this is all quite fresh. I've just finished a sort of book called Tales from Hollywood and Beyond. Oh, wow. um, so I've kind of really boring myself with my own history. <laughs> um, I, I uh, sort of knew when I was at school, I was about 15, and I, 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 I was pretty bored. And so I auditioned for a school play. I was a year too young to be in it, but I somehow got a part. And I remember standing, waiting in the wings for my first entrance in my first play and being absolutely petrified. Mm-hmm. And I was frozen with terror. Mm-hmm. But the adrenaline was coursing through my body. It was, was an incredible rush. And I remember thinking, I am so scared I could shit myself, but I will <laughs> be doing this for the rest of my life. Wow. And I, I decided then, and it was bizarre because I um, came from a very kind of straight middle-class family. Mm-hmm. And my father was kind of uh, fairly secretive about his family, and 
it turned out uh, a few years later that I found out um, my entire family, the generation before him, were all in the theatre or show business. Really? Wow. And my, my, my grandfather had a, um, a vaudeville act with Charlie Chaplin. That is so cool. <laughs> and wow. was offered actually on a, co- a couple of contracts to come out, uh, even one on the back of a menu. They had the uh, back of a menu where they were having dinner in London. And he said, oh, you must come out. And, and his father, my great-grandfather, told my grandfather uh, that there was no future in this film thing. It was a passing phase. <laughs> um, wow. So he didn't come. Um, so it's, yeah, it was, was bizarre. It, it was sort of actually something that was, I discovered later, was in my blood. And, and I had sort of even a half-sister, a half-aunt, my father's half-sister, who was an actress and hmm. her husband was an actor and blah, blah, blah. Did, did you study comedy, specifically comedy? Um, not specifically. Uh, I mean, I always got sort of pushed towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I was probably the sort of class clown in my family <laughs> and, and the class clown in my class at school. <laughs> um, but uh, it's sort of, yeah, I suppose I did. Uh, I'm, I was always that kind of, I was always comedy leading man mm-hmm. and character dr- dramatic man. Hmm, interesting. That's interesting. Well... You know, okay, now I want to just get into the best in show, but not just that. First of all, um, I am a huge Christopher Guest fan, like huge. And so I like bow to you that you were in Best in Show, Mighty Wind and Mascots. So I want to ask, first of all, how did that happen? How did you get to be in a Christopher Guest movie? Was it just an audition or did you know someone? How did that happen? Yeah, I did. I I knew Eugene Levy and and Catherine O'Hara socially. And um, I'd met Chris maybe once, I think, socially, but very briefly. And he's, um, how shall I put this delicately, mm-hmm. socially awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I'd probably exchange two words with him. Uh, but it was actually Eugene's idea uh, to, they would be looking for someone to team up with Fred Willard for Best in Show. And, and, they, and, and it was Eugene thought, you know, it would be kind of funny to have a straight English guy who kind of seems to know what he's talking about. Yeah which will contrast with Fred's kind of idiocy. <laughs> so I went in to meet them at the Castle Rock offices, and it was the most uncomfortable meeting I think I've ever had in my life because both Chris and Eugene are, uh, as I say, socially uncomfortable. Yeah. So I, I ended up sitting on the couch just sort of babbling, and they don't actually audition. Chris, uh, it's an interesting process. He thinks he, or well, he does know, that he can instinctually tell mm-hmm. if someone can do what he wants, the, right. the improv. And I'd actually done almost zero improvisation up to that point. I'd done a tiny bit at drama school. Hmm. And so I just was babbling away, and I kind of thought, this is just ridiculous. And I said, look, I think Eugene knows slightly my work, but you don't, Chris. So here's a tape, and um, have a look. And if you think that I'm right, I'd be delighted to. Hmm. And um, so I I went off, and uh, and I got a call in the car. I was driving home, and... and, um, a voice, quiet voice, said, "Is this Jim?" Said, yes, yes. This is Christopher Guest. <laughs> Would you like to be in the movie? <laughs> so that was the beginning, and then obviously, um, I kind of stayed for the next three films, and then Chris and I started writing together. Wow. We wrote Family Tree for HBO, and because, um, uh, and then. We wrote uh, the series Family Tree for HBO, and then we wrote Mascots together and produced it together. Oh, wow. Yeah, so, I, I love So I then love it kind that. of became a, a writing and producing partnership as well. 
That is so cool. And I, like I said, I mean, I am such a huge fan. Obviously, I mean, the first um, Spinal Tap and, and, and then, you know, I just remember going to the theater and seeing that Best in Show was going to be coming out and I could not wait. And so I want to just ask for you. I mean, this is probably a question you've been asked a million times, so I apologize, but I have to ask. First of all, what was it like to work with Fred Willard? But then how did you keep yourself from laughing? Because he's so silly. Yeah, it was tough. And actually, if you watch closely, you can see me start to laugh. But it kind of works because a real guy in that situation would have been mildly amused. Right. And what, what Chris did so brilliantly in the editing is that he got the kind of arc of me being mildly amused then slightly annoyed and then even more annoyed. And then just literally, I cannot, I can't speak to him because I'm, I'm just in, in so disgusted with how stupid he is. Um, the experience was an interesting one because I almost couldn't do it because once I had said yes to doing it, I had a show that I created, a sitcom with Mark Addy, and believe it or not, um, Lee Majors was in it. Oh, wow. Um, and, and another wonderful... It was supposed to be Hugh Bonville, but Hugh couldn't do it at the last minute. So it was Alex Jennings was in it. And it was a sitcom for the BBC, and, and I wasn't in it, but I was writing and producing it and, and was created it. And, and that was shooting at the same time. So I had to get the BBC's permission to, at the read-through on Monday, I mean, if you sitcoms, as, as people in, don't, aren't in business don't know, you, you basically, it's Monday through Friday. You have a reading on Monday morning, and you tape it Friday night in front mm -hmm. of an audience, and you rehearse all week and blah, blah, blah. So uh, we did the reading on Monday morning. I gave my notes, and they allowed me to get on a plane to Vancouver from London, um, be there Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, come back, I fly back Thursday night in time for a run-through of the show wow. on Friday morning and uh, the dress rehearsal Friday afternoon and the taping. So they allowed me to do that, which was yeah. great. But so wow. consequently, I was entirely jet-lagged for that yes. shoot. Wow. And we did it, I got there on the Tuesday, and also on the Monday night, had dinner with Fred and, and Eugene and Chris, and then they kind of sent me away and said, look, Fred's going to tell us the sort of stuff he's going to do, and we don't really want you to know, because mm -hmm. it would be better if you don't, <laughs> for everybody. Um, so <laughs> then the next day they were behind, so we didn't shoot on the Tuesday, and then they were running behind again, so we didn't shoot Wednesday, and then they were still behind, and they had to do And so they, I got a message saying, can you shoot on Friday? And I said, no, I'm sorry, I can't, <laughs> I've got to go back. So we did... You, uh, Fred and I did all that stuff. It was probably about, I don't know, we're in the movie for about 25, 30 minutes. Yeah. We shot all that in one day. Wow. In an empty stadium, because they'd already shot the dog stuff. So we just watched footage, right. a little bit of footage on a monitor of what we were commenting on. We had some extras behind us to create the illusion that we were in a full stadium. Mm -hmm. And then we would just run. We would go, and, and Fred would go, and I would ride on his coattail. <laughs> oh, my. Yeah, he, he I, I never got to meet him, but it was funny because um, one of my the many places I lived in Southern California, uh, it was when I was about 13 years old. I was living in Hollywood, and my girlfriend and I put out babysitting flyers all over the neighborhood and got called by somebody. So 
you know, she got called. We went and did the babysitting gig, and right next, living next door was Martin Mull. And I had always oh, remembered, yeah. yeah, Martin Mull and Fred Lovely Willard, man. yeah, from um, what was that show? I can't remember the name of it now. Um, Fernwood, Fernwood, Fernwood Tonight. Tonight. Yeah, I used to watch that with my mom when I was little. So I, this is kind Great of funny. Show. So, um, yeah, I mean, I always felt like I got this close to Fred Willard, but I never got to meet him. And I just absolutely adore him. Obviously, he recently passed away. And it's such a yeah. loss because he was so funny, man. I loved him so much. He was a lovely man. We became very close friends. And he and Mary, his wife, we would, we would see them at least three or four times a year. They had notorious Christmas parties hmm. and Patrick's Day parties and July 4th parties. Hmm. And so I would see him very regularly. And he was a lovely sweet man and very, very different from the screen persona. Yeah. He was quite shy and mm. um, just very serious, you know. Yeah. And then the minute he was on, huh. uh, it was a different person. It was, a, it was extraordinary. And he, he, he really perfected the art of playing the American boor or idiot right. Right. in a way that I'm not sure too many other people have ever really no. mastered. I mean, he, he was absolutely superb and a great improviser. And mm -hmm. he prepared, too. He had a lot of material that he worked in his head. Um, but, but it was a great loss. I was, I was really... It was the end of an era with Mary died a couple of years ago and, and Fred, you know, was not been that well. Right. Died just, you know, just a couple of months ago. And when I got the call, it was really, um, yeah, very sad. Yeah. Um, let me ask you just this, too, as far... Keep one more Christopher Guest movie question. Um... What's it like? I mean, did you? It's all improvised, right? Do you set up the scene? Uh, it's improvised, but there are, we write very detailed outlines. I mean, Eugene and Chris wrote up until uh, for your consideration. They wrote all the movies, and then Chris and I wrote together. But the, 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 you write basically a thirty-page solid outline, mm -hmm. which is maps out the entire film. I mean, if you read the outline for Best in Show, I think it's thirty-something pages. It's the movie. Mm -hmm. It's totally the movie. And some of the lines are in there, just thrown in, and some aren't. Mm -hmm. So it is improvised, but we give the actors a really solid base to yeah. work from, and even very detailed character bios. So it oddly, because people say it must be the easiest gig in the world writing an improvised movie, it actually takes longer. Oh, I can imagine. It does. Yeah, because you have to prepare everything. It's like preparing a car journey with Google Maps or whatever, <laughs> and you have to map out every single stop where you're going to go mm -hmm. eat, where you're going to have a sleep, where you're going to uh, go to the bathroom, where you turn, where you do this, where you stop. But everything is mapped out in great detail so that when you come to do the journey, you can let the actors take the wheel and drive it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, that makes total sense. And I feel, I mean, I studied, I don't know if you're familiar with a Meisner technique, but I studied that and a lot of it has yeah. to do with um, improvisation. So, And it's intimidating initially if you don't really feel confident and I, you know I remember there was we did an improvisation um when I was studying with Michael Higgins and I again I was so enamored of him and I just allowed that to interfere with me and I was so young that I kind of you know we were doing something and I stopped in my tracks and I I just I remember I disappointed him and felt so bad but it's it's a scary thing but once you kind of get learn it and get into the groove of it and understand the flow um, it can really be fun, um, but you definitely yeah. have to be on your feet and you have to know what's funny and, you know, whether or not even you're doing a comedy, it's like understanding what's funny, what isn't funny. Um, it's, it's, it's really uh, difficult, but at the same time, uh, just so thrilling and so much fun. At least that was my experience of it. 
I know yeah, that if I were yeah, in a movie... It's always terrifying. Yes. I mean, even the, the most experienced people are terrified doing it. But... Because <laughs> um, it's, you know, there's, you feel like there's no safety net. But it's exhilarating, yeah. too. Exactly, uh, yeah. and, and I think with Chris, the method that we... And, and I've continued on with that. I mean, I work now with Don Laker, who's in that troupe, and he and I are writing a show together. And, and, and the kind of... The thing that's important, and I stress, and Chris always stresses, uh, is you don't have to try to be funny or you don't have to say anything in an improvised scene because mm-hmm. if everyone starts talking, it becomes chaos. Mm-hmm. So you can actually say one line in a scene and get the biggest laugh mm-hmm. if you're very smart. Right. Um, and you can also go on a riff and do a whole, you know, go on a, a run. Mm-hmm. Um, but the key to it to, is you don't have to talk. You don't have to say anything because reactions are often, as you know, in comedy, funnier than yeah. the action. Yeah. And also the other thing is um, that my own personal ethos with improvisation is first be true and real, or true is a better word than real, be true, and then secondary importance is be funny. Right. (laughs) So I want it to be real, believable. Yes. And like being saying be funny is like saying cry. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's, be funny. Uh, I hate it. I hate it. The idea is, you, no one can. It's like, you know, what is I mean, your um, with a gun to your head? <laughs> what do you prefer as far as your acting? Do you like doing live plays? Do you like doing TV or film? And 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 then, do you do you prefer doing improvisation as opposed to you know scripted lines? Or what is your favorite? Well, why? I, I did a lot of theater in the first seven or eight years of my career. I actually spent three years doing pretty much solidly doing Broadway shows. So I kind of got that out of my system early. And I'm, I am a theater creature to a degree, but I much prefer the, the, the world of film and TV simply because I get bored very easily. And mm. once I kind of feel like I've nailed something, yeah. um, there isn't much pleasure in me recreating that every night, eight nights a week for a year, yeah. which I've done. I did that with Noises Off in New York, and I loved it, but I, I, I kind of got that out of my system when I was young. So I definitely prefer film and TV. And get, but I like both. I like scripted. I, I mean, my favorite way to work is uh did a film with a couple of things with Nick Stoller, who, who's a lovely director, and, and Judd Apatow. And, and what we would do is we would do the scripted version, and then he'd always say, look, you know, I've got so many good comedy talents here. Let's play around with it mm-hmm. and improvise. So it's kind of fun if you get to do both because um, then you feel like you do have a safety yeah. net. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting because I remember like studying Meisner technique. Initially, when we would work on Shakespeare, we were supposed to take the script and make it into our own words so that we would fully understand it. So it's kind of like a reverse thing. And it wasn't for a performance. It was just to understand what we were doing. But I, I, that would be kind of fun to be able to just take a script and then make it into your own that would possibly, you know, end up in, in a film or whatever, whatever you're doing, whatever show you're doing, that, that would be fun. Um, yeah. So what are, okay. I want to ask a little bit about what you've done lately, but then I want, I want to get into the whole, uh, what actors are going through with COVID, but, um, yeah. <laughs> cause we're all nothing. going through, <laughs> going through um, what have uh, you been doing lately? Yeah. What have you done for me lately? <laughs> uh, the last acting job I did was, uh, 
there was a series on on uh, Netflix called The Haunting of Hill House, and they did a sort of follow up to that uh, called The Haunting of Blind Manor. And I am in that playing a a Catholic priest that is trying to handle a young kid who is clearly possessed. Hmm. Um, so uh, luckily, it's not. Uh, it's a nice priest. It's not a gropey Catholic priest. <laughs> it's, um, it's, a, it's a very benevolent character, actually. Uh, and so that was kind of fun. Uh, that was the last acting thing I did. Uh, I was supposed to start uh, an acting job in April doing a movie here, all set on the Queen Mary, believe hmm. it or not. Um, uh, that was supposed to, And then I was supposed to go do a film in England, which I wrote about um, a famous horse. It was kind of an English sea biscuit type story. Hmm. So that was supposed to start May 11th. So obviously both those projects got bumped. Um, so I would imagine I constant talks with various people about trying to get things in production. And I don't see it happening before 2021. Mm-hmm. I don't see anything. Yeah. I mean, I think there will be some things shot in Vancouver hmm. and uh, places like that. Um, but I think you're not, you're not going to see production back to any kind of normalcy before next year. Yeah, I was just going to ask, like, as far as, you know, you're ta- I'm sure you're talking to your friends and their actors and their producers and all of that. And what's, is everybody, like, freaking out? Is everybody, like, saying, all right, we're just going to be calm? Because I, I totally agree with you. In fact, what I think needs to happen, and hopefully it will, um, Biden needs to win, and then he just needs to do a national lockdown so that, you know, everybody is fined if they're out, uh, disobeying whatever rules are in place to keep everybody safe. And, you know, I think if we were to be really diligent, we could get this under control within two months, maybe three months, but let's just say two or three months. And then by that time, I think uh, we could get it down to zero, just like New Zealand did it. Whatever they did, we could just do that. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it really rather depends on what state we're in in January. Mm-hmm. You know, late January was when he'll take over. Yes, um, and that's a long way away. Uh, I think we'll still be. Horse, in, we'll that, still that be. That horse a... has left the barn a long time ago, yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, don't... I, I think that I think yes, if we're still in the current situation, you have to go look, shut everything down. Yeah, I think um, we will be. I think it's too late. I think it's too late. I think I, I think by then there will be sufficient treatments and possibly a vaccine. If not by January, I don't think it'll be. Too many months right. after. Here's and hoping. I think that will be a game changer. Yeah, and I mean, I've I've heard that there might be. Um, I was just, I think I was listening last night on MSNBC. Somebody was talking about vaccines, and maybe you know, the case would be like we do flu shots every year. We might have to get a COVID shot. But the scary thing that I heard was that it we might only be immune for a very short period of time, like three or four weeks, and then and then we're. Once again, like it's not like we're going to get lifetime immunity or even a year immunity, but that's nobody knows yet, so we're just all speculating. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think that's 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 total speculation. I mean, it'd be unusual yeah. for a vaccine to only work for three or four weeks. That that yes. seems very very unusual. It does, although. Uh, that's but yes, what, the yeah. idea of maybe uh, because it will mutate and it will change in certain ways, the idea of getting one every year, like a flu shot, is is probably. You know, I mean, I think when I get the flu shot, they often say it's like a double flu shot. It's like two strains. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's not unusual anyway. Right. Uh, but we'll, we can only wait and see. I mean, I, I think we're so far behind the curve. It's just it's too, it's, it's, it's too late now. 
Yeah, it's too late, and it really sucks, man, and it's putting me in a shitty mood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But at least... There's appalling, appalling leadership, both here and in the United Kingdom. Yes. At least in the United Kingdom, they seem to be moving towards some sort of common sense, just yeah. because, you know, they get the, the message from Europe, even though they don't want to be part of it. Right. Um, but here, uh, I mean, it's, it's... I think it will go down as one of the most colossal... Mm-hmm screw-ups in the history of, of, of the country. I mean, I think I think the problem with Trump is that he, he doesn't just fumble. Mm-hmm. He actually actively makes things a million times worse. Yeah. And it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a flare-up of demonstrations, it, any issue he will take, pour gasoline on it, and make it way worse. Yeah. And it's all about getting attention, mm-hmm. getting a base to support a, an outlandish position because he doesn't, he needs that attention. He needs to be different. He can't just do what is the smart thing because that doesn't make him stand out. And he, it's all he cares about, I think, is that, that feeding that narcissism. Yeah. And, um, it's really and, 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 and lining his pockets one way or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you lived in, England, and then you lived in America, and so I'm just curious what you think, like, okay, now you've had the opportunity to watch what happened over there and, and over here, and so what, what, like, what has changed, if anything, in your mind about this country because you were born and raised in England? Like, now that you've lived through the Trump era, what do you, yeah. what do you think? I've lived in the country for 39 years. Mm-hmm. It will be exactly, I think, 40 years in January. And the changes in the last four years have always been radical. Radical mm-hmm. because of Trump. I mean, yes. he's single-handedly destroyed America. Yeah. Um, whether it's temporarily broken or, or more yeah. permanently. I think it's temporarily broken. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, it, it's... It's always been two Americas. When I arrived, I guess it was Reagan, 1981. Mm-hmm. It was the Reagan era. And there was a lot of damage done there. You know, yes. the, it, but, but it was, you always felt like Reagan wasn't deliberately trying to screw things up or, mm-hmm. or, or was doing things for what he believed in. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I didn't like the guy, and I thought he was, uh, you know, uh, a pretty bad president. But... <laughs> He, he, he never felt there was a malevolence right. behind what he was doing. Yeah. Um, I, I felt that, you know, the root of the problems actually in this country started there, mm-hmm. releasing all the mental, yes, mentally ill people, cutting back. I think it started the rot and, mm-hmm. and, and allowing capitalism to run amok mm-hmm. in the 80s was the start of the rot. And then, to be fair... There haven't been a lot of Democrats who have fought back and corrected it mm-hmm. they, because they've been so busy mm-hmm. correcting broken economies, yes. which, which Clinton did and which Obama did. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I think that, you know, George Bush was a dreadful president too, but mm-hmm. again, you never felt that he was deliberately being malicious or yeah. malevolent. I think he was stupid. And misguided. And I think yeah. he, was, he had some evil, malicious self-interested people around him mm-hmm. that used him. Yes. Um, but, but you never felt that he was a, 
a bad guy. You just felt he was way out of his depth. Yeah, and pretty And the dumb. damage he did was enormous. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we keep having to kind of come in and mop up, you know, well, not we, <laughs> the Democrats. <laughs> um, I say we because I am a registered Democrat. That the Democrats have to come in every time and mop it up. Yeah. And I don't know how people, the thing that's scariest to me is not the Trumps that are around because there's always dreadful human beings, mm -hmm. evil people. It's the fact that people couldn't see through it. People mm -hmm. had 18 months to figure out who that guy was. Yeah. Everybody knew. The Republican candidates knew. The Republican, the RNC knew what Trump was. I knew because I came across him in the 80s in mm -hmm. New York. Wow. He's always been a charlatan, a con man. Yeah. There is nothing about him that isn't fake. And the fact that people bought it, mm -hmm. I mean, whoever said, you know, no one ever lost a fortune underestimating <laughs> the intelligence of the American public is absolutely right. Mm -hmm. it, I've always thought, you know, maybe 20, 25% of the population was interminably stupid. <laughs> I, I hate to say it, and it will be, sound really elitist, I think it's more than that. And uh -huh. it's not even about being stupid. It's gullible. Gullible and willfully ignorant. And it, that's all about education. Exactly. It's exactly. All about education. That's and, what I've been until saying. Until that is fixed, we're going to continue this cycle of idiocy. Yes. And the thing is, is Republic and I mean, I've said this so many times, I'm not alone, but uh, Republicans, when they defund education, it's, an, it's been an ongoing effort for, for years. That money never gets replaced. And, you know, I, I, I love the actress Kristen Johnston. And she's at Christmas time, she's always posting um, links to Amazon for teachers because teachers are not, not – it's not – they're not just not paid enough money. They don't have the tools they need in order to teach the students. And, yeah. you know, this is, it's, like I said, it's an ongoing effort within the Republican Party, and they know exactly what, they do, what they're doing. Because if they have yeah. all of these people who are not educated and they don't understand how government works, then you, you become apathetic and you become more interested in watching reality shows. And, you know, I'm the first one to admit, there are some reality shows that are so fucking stupid, but I love them and I watch them. I'm just not the person who believes that it's real. I understand what it is. I understand it's a soap opera. Yeah. And, you know, while some emotions and words that might be exchanged in those shows might be legitimate and real in that moment, we all know what it is. It's a soap opera. And, well, I yeah. don't say we all know because yeah. some of us don't know. I mean, people watched The Apprentice and believed it and thought that, tr yeah. and, and, and so, yeah, I totally agree with you that uh, aside from that, you know, you throw in Fox News, toxic news, uh, or I should say toxic right-wing personality um, you know, on, on uh, the, what am I trying to say? On talk radio. Um, yep. Because there's that film, it's a documentary called The Brainwashing of My Dad. And I don't know if you saw it, but it's this woman chronicling how her father, who was a liberal, was brainwashed initially by those talk radio shows with like Rush Limbaugh and Mark Levin or whatever his name is. And, and then, you know, you watch, and the thing is, is those radio programs are often listened to you know, while you're alone, whether it's you're in your car on your way to work or you're at home, yes. and you feel this intimacy with this person day after day after day. And interestingly, I mean, again, her father was a liberal, and he just got yep. sucked into this, and eventually she was able to turn him around by just filling him with legitimate news. And, and then eventually he came out of it. But I think, you know, I mean, I have a family member who... Um, is a Trump supporter. And initially she said she didn't really like Trump. I think her first choice was Ted Cruz, which 
doesn't really speak highly for her, but, um, you know, I mean, still it was like, she was this tea party kind of Republican and, but then eventually she turned and she's like, she, you know, she said to me, well, I'm a Republican. And I, I felt like saying, then why do you support Trump? Because he's nothing. He's just a, like you said, he's a malevolent, um, charlatan. But I do think that it's, I think you're right that for, there's a lot more people than we necess, than we really realize in this country, but it really falls into the, I think it's the Republican Party defunding education and not teaching civics in school. And it doesn't mean everybody would be participating and engaged, but so many more people would, and they wouldn't fall for somebody like him. And, and I agree. Um, until we address Fox News and all of that stuff, and we start regulating the internet so that articles that are total fabricated bullshit, you know, are being called out for what they are. We're going to keep seeing this over and over again because people tend to gravitate toward what they prefer to believe as opposed to the truth. And I see it all the time with COVID. I, I recently stopped talking to a friend that I knew. I've known her since I was like 21 years old or 20. I don't know. Long ass time ago. I just turned 52. And, um, she was sharing an article about COVID from, I, I, it's, it's an old news story, but it's something about these two doctors that they had uh, some kind of benefit to, to post misinformation. Somehow they were, would be benefiting, it, benefiting from it financially. Um, so, you know, but, and, she, and so we got into it. I was asking her, like, you, or, or talking to her and saying, we need to listen to experts and we need to be practical about this. And all she could, and she's not even a Trump supporter. And she was saying to me, you know, well, I'm just not going to live my life in fear. I don't always listen to the experts. And it's like, <sighs> so that's it. I'm not talking to her anymore. <laughs> I, I can't. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just cannot, I cannot deal with these people. And it's just so frustrating. And, um, okay, so after my long rant, what do, what do you, what's your opinion about Brexit? How do you feel about that? I mean, I think I know, but I'd uh, like to hear you. Well, very much the same way about Trump. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it, it was, they were only a few months apart, and I saw that what happened, and it was identical. I watched live, because mm-hmm. obviously the results were early in the morning in England on Brexit, and so we watched it live here. Um, and it was almost identical. The, 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 the Leave Party had conceded. Hmm. They, were, yeah. they knew they were beaten. And then very suddenly, very mysteriously, it turned around towards the end. And they just squeaked a narrow, narrow victory. Um, and the same thing happened here, yeah. which I looked like, to all intents and purposes, Hillary Clinton had won. Right. And then suddenly, oh, no, hang on a minute. Uh-huh. And it, it, it was too similar. It was too similar. And it was the similar wave of populism. It's a yes. similar uh, manipulation by, by the media and Russia. Uh, and and Cambridge Analytica has to mm-hmm. answer for both. They 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 absolutely manipulated the situation. I think there's going to be some some problems with Brexit now because the Russia report that came out yesterday makes it quite clear that that the the, the Conservative Party did nothing about mm-hmm. the um, the interference, and I think it's quite clear that they won illegally. Yes. So and it was such a squeaky narrow vote. And it was also, an, a referendum is an advisory uh, vote. And it was only the Tory government that said, oh, no, it's going to be binding. It was only their just random decision. They mm-hmm. could have just ignored it. Yeah. Um, it and, and obviously something as important as that should have to be a 60% majority. Yeah. 
So they've gone ahead. They forged ahead. They did that classic British thing of, uh, oh, the will of the people, and we've just got to do it, whatever. And, and so after four years of, you know, going backwards and forwards, they finally are about to leave the EU, or we've left the EU, but mm-hmm. they still don't have a deal. And there will be untold misery, mm-hmm. economic and otherwise, once it's final at the end of this year, because they've got a moron in charge in England too, mm-hmm. an idiot, who is just Trump light, yeah, uh, and, and doesn't give a shit about the country whatsoever. It's all about him. So there's going to be a comeback, and at some point they're going to be knocking on Europe's door and saying, "Can we come back?" Yeah, I yeah. would put, I would bet my house on that. Wow, because yeah. it will be a disaster. <laughs> it will be a disaster. Yeah. yeah. As this has been a this Trump experiment has been an utter disaster, and people who are educated predicted it, mm-hmm. and the people who are educated predicted Brexit would be a disaster, mm-hmm. and they did the same thing. Some smart people with bad intentions manipulated mm-hmm. a vulnerable and gullible populace, and yeah. made it about the foreigner who was the problem, and that's why we have to leave. Yeah. What do you think is going to happen um, in November here? Well. Conventional wisdom would say there's no way that Trump can win. Mm-hmm. However, um, I do think he will do absolutely mm-hmm. anything because I think he knows that he's not just facing leaving office. Uh, <laughs> there's a very good chance he'll die in jail. Yes, let's, let's hope. Um, yeah. Uh, so I think this is a fight for his own freedom and mm-hmm. survival. And this is a man who'll do anything. Mm-hmm. He'll sacrifice his kids if it means he, he will yeah. get what he wants. Yeah, he will. Um, so I think that it'll be a really rough time between now and then. I mm-hmm. mean, I think the stuff that's going on in Portland is an indicator. Yes. That was a small, little, minor sort of thing going on with mostly a group of mothers. Mm-hmm. Um, the biggest criminal issue was graffiti. Mm-hmm. And they send in a Gestapo unit to deal with it, to, sh- to make a show of force yeah. and show, oh, look, we're, we're dealing with this. America's burning and we're going to save it. And even the mayor and all the people in Portland saying all it did was pour gasoline on the fire. Mm -hmm. It's Trump's MO. Create a problem, pretend to solve it, and then move on. Yeah. For the next thing before people realize that you didn't actually solve it. And they they said, I mean, the real giveaway was the Department of uh, Defense, whoever sent in those people said, Mm -hmm. we expect there to be trouble until November. Wow. Now, how on earth could you say that yeah. if you didn't plan exactly. to make sure that there was still trouble by November? And, and it is. It's all being caused by those that, that federal, whatever that is, the Gestapo unit. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, I was talking to a lawyer, Terry Canefield, earlier this week, and she was saying that she believes uh, these troops, these federal troops being sent in, are also, in, I guess, in part a way for Trump to see if he can get his poll numbers up because he's been put on notice by the Republican Party yeah. that if he doesn't get them up by Labor Day, then he's on his own. And so, you know, he's at that point right now where he's flailing. And, you know, I mean, I... Oh, he's doing anything. Yeah, yeah. Any, he's just even throwing promoting shit up wearing masks now because he thinks he realized that that was a, a losing battle. But the yeah. problem is, I think he's not on his... In 2016, 2015, 2016, it's much easier to be a heckler mm-hmm. if you're 
not the incumbent. Yes. And Trump, that's all he is. He's a carnival barker heckler. Yeah. He's always done that. Once he's on the stage, he then has to perform, and mm -hmm. he can't. So what's happened now is that he's clearly done nothing in his presidency, absolutely nothing, except what Mitch McConnell wanted, deregulation, mm -hmm. tax cuts. That is it. And so he's done that, and now he's playing golf because he's got nothing else to do. Yeah. So now he's got nothing to run on. And I think that he keeps picking issues that he thinks will appeal to his base. Yeah. But they don't appeal to enough people to get him reelected. Mm -hmm. And he keeps going down blind alleys. And the decision making has been disastrous, mm -hmm. to be honest. And either people who are advising him are just as stupid as he is, or he's ignoring them, which I think is more likely the case. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think it's just he's lurching from one thing to another. And I, I think personally, I think what will probably happen, and I hope to God it does is that Biden will get re-elected mm -hmm. simply because people are sick and tired mm -hmm. of listening and hearing and Trump dominating their lives. It's yeah. like an abusive parent. It is. Who never lets you alone. And I think people in the middle of a country who are sort of can be swayed one way or another are sick and tired of it. Yeah, God, I hope. I mean, I, there is a lot to be helpful for. Obviously, there, like you said, and like everybody's been saying, he's going to do every single thing he can to avoid dying in jail. Um, yep. But, you know, you can take a look at the every single election we've had since he entered office. And it's always been, you know, uh, uh, women or people of yep. color, very diverse group of people in the Democratic Party. Um, and, and it's been, you know, really impressive numbers, what we saw in the midterm. So I can't imagine that, you know, people, I, th I could say very confidently that the people of this country, the you know majority, will vote for Biden. But the question is, is what are they going to do? Um, and are they going to be successful? Because they're going to try to muck things up. They're going to use COVID uh, somehow, some way to keep people from voting. They're, you know, he's going after the mail and, or the post office. So, um, Yep. You know, yep. I mean, there's all these different and we, he's got Bill Barr. Unfortunately, Bill Barr is smart. So it's like Donald Trump. Yes. I think one of the benefits uh, is that we have a st I mean, he's not stupid, but he is kind of he is kind of so he's savvy. He's media savvy and he knows how to stay relevant and he knows how to um, please his his masters, if you will, um, and knows what not to say, but he's not a smart man and he's not, he, he, you know, he's not the smart businessman that he liked everyone. He wanted everyone to believe. So like, God forbid we have a smart Trump. Um, fortunately yeah. we have somebody who doesn't really understand what's going on because I don't know if you read Mary Trump's book, but just the gist is, you know, I mean, he was damaged as a child and he, it carried him through and he's 74 and there's just no way. There is absolutely no way to teach that old dog new tricks. He will not learn them. He cannot learn them. It is impossible for him. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm like, I'm nervous because I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm concerned about whatever Russia is going to do, but it's not just Russia because it's, you know, it's the GOP and, and, and their suppression and whatever manipulation they're able to achieve. Yep. I don't know. I don't know how deep it goes, but, um, you know, I, don't, I certainly don't trust the uh, machines. I, I much prefer, like, the paper ballots where there's a trail. No, it's horrible. Wait, I, I wish the election was tomorrow because it's yeah. just it's, it's just torture waiting this out. <laughs> you know, it really I mean, is. I think it, the whole future of America depends on it. I think if it he does. gets reelected... 
you can call it, you can call it yeah. pull the plug on America. Yeah. I, I mean, I will certainly be gone. I, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't stay here. Real, so would you go to England? Yeah, I mean, I, I have a place that I bought a couple of years ago. I would probably buy it um, maybe in France as well, and I, I would get out. I, yeah. I, it, it, there's no way that America won't collapse right. if, if Trump's elected. No way. Yeah. Absolutely no way. I know. I mean, if you had a Democratic House uh, and, and Senate, you, you, you actually may be okay. That would be the only scenario. Right, exactly. They can um, keep him in check, yeah. That would be Trump's worst nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Well, be, that's... And he, he'd probably be impeached within you know, a couple of months, and he'd be gone anyway. Yes, I, I agree, and I think that that would absolutely happen because there's so many other things we can impeach him on. Um, one thing, you know, Nancy yeah. Pelosi gets criticized a lot of the time for not impeaching him on every little thing, but, you know, it's good to have some things in the back pocket just in case. And I, I do think it will be harder um, to... I think it's easier to get a president, like to cheat a president in, as opposed to Congress. It's harder to do with Congress. So, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. And I don't, you know, I mean, obviously last time there was so much cheating, and I do believe the Russians pushed it over the edge. I don't, I don't blame everything yeah. on Putin. But, you know, I mean, I used to live in Soviet Russia, so I understand the Soviet mindset, and he's got it. And so oh, wow. he's definitely, I mean, and I was 12 years old, so I'm not, I'm no expert, but I felt it, you know, I mean, I felt yeah. what yeah. Soviet life was like, and um, the coldness and the cruelty, and, and that's just like, it's Putin in a nutshell. So I- Oh, it's I, totally his model. It's yeah. absolutely his model. I mean, that's what we're becoming. Yeah. And that, that dystopian, I remember the 2016 Republican convention. Oh my God, gave that, that was freakish. speech about this dystopian vision yes. of America, of the streets, of the, yeah. you know, the blood and the riots. And you're going, well, that's not what we have. You know, right. well, I don't know what reality you're in, but that's, and then the, the, the line that was the total giveaway. Anyone who says, I alone can fix it. Yes. Doesn't matter whether they're in the field of entertainment, sports, law, anything, business, they should not be touched with a 10-foot barge pole. They should be sent to an island and isolated <laughs> from the rest of the world because it's ridiculous. Uh, and, of course, what has happened is it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. He's created yes, he did. that vision of America. Yeah, It's, it's, it's Russia light. It really is, and it's just awful and scary, and I, I just hope that we can pull it together. It's like, please, please, please. I You know, I always feel like... Usually at night, I, I get on, you know, I mean, I'm online all day because I do it for work. And then at night, it's kind of like I, I escape and I always call it my after dinner Twitter. But I, 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 it seems like every single night I get it into my head like, oh, my God, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this is America. And I just feel like I'm living in some kind of like 80s cautionary tale movie about the future. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's just so weird. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, if, you know, logic would say he has to lose just mm -hmm. because everything that's happening doesn't even appeal to the traditional right-wing view of government overreach and all that. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine that, that there are people on the right who are watching what's going on in Portland. Unless they're so biased, they're like, well, it's a democratic city, so they get what they deserve. Yeah. You know, put them all in jail. I think a lot of people in states like Wyoming, Montana, all these states, they just want to be left alone. Yes, they do. Yeah. I think most of America just wants to be left alone. Mm -hmm. And the government overreach under Trump makes, you know, Obama look like a, you know, a kid. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's insane. And I don't think that plays well. No. No, and, you know, here's hoping, because like I said, it's, it's, it's I think just 
people are going to vote for Biden and for Democrats. I mean, you've got whatever you think of the Lincoln Project, which I don't love, but, you know, I mean, I appreciate what they're doing, even if all they're doing is just really pissing Trump off. Um, But I appreciate it because I do think that they are able to maybe convince some of these independents or Republicans who maybe once voted for Trump based on the fact that he was, they thought, oh, he's a businessman. And so we need a businessman's mentality. And then they realize, oh, I was duped. And, and yeah. now they're not interested. So I do think that, that the people in the Lincoln project can have some, um, and, and they're also going after senators and, and house rep- representatives. So there is that. I mean, I, 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 I think they're terrific. I, I, I think they're terrific. I, I, I have unqualified support for them because I think what the Democrats have always lacked, in my experience in 40 years of this country, is having some real balls. Yes, and I agree with they you. They don't have any balls. And I think these guys are, are, are Republican strategists who know how to take the gloves off and slug. Yeah. And, you know, Joe, is, Biden, is, is able to do that too. Mm-hmm. I think it's a perfect combination because the Democratic machinery is full of pussies. Mm-hmm. It's just so wimpy. They always bring a slingshot to a machine gun fight. <laughs> I and, know they And don't. these guys are doing the heavy lifting, mm-hmm. and it means that the Democratic uh, DNC can actually put out more positive kind of um, policy That's ads. true. That's true. So I think it's a perfect foil, and I, and I really admire those guys. It's not easy. And, you know, I, I once said, I, I, I will never forgive anyone that voted for Trump in 2016. Mm-hmm. But I've since amended that because mm-hmm. people I used to have bitter fights with, like Joe Walsh, mm-hmm. who was a right-wing, yep. fanatical, pro-gun, yes. anti-abortion lunatic, <laughs> has turned around 180 degrees. And anybody that's prepared to do that and become as dogmatic and fanatical about pushing what they believe to be right now mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they've kind of seen the light... I think they're invaluable, and, and, and I've told him, I, th- I think it takes a real courage and a real a man to actually say, God, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, he's actually been on my show two times. and Oh, I, really? Yeah, 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 and I appreciate, you know, I have to say, out of all of the Never Trumpers, I, I actually like him the best, and, and, and the reason why is because he never attacks Democrats. And it's not to say that I don't think Democrats should never be criticized. I mean, I've, I've yeah. criticized Democrats many, many, many times, and I've done it publicly. Um, but I, I think that there's a time to do it. Like, for instance, I used to I used to be an ERA advocate for the Equal Rights Amendment. And so I went after Democrats who were not supporting it, and I would write blog posts that shaming them. And it actually worked a couple of times, Got and it got them to um, sign on to, you know, whatever the thing was. It wasn't a vote, but it's a long story, so I won't get into it. But um, I do think it's important for us, for liberals, to call out Democrats that we would like to see either be stronger or do whatever it is. Um, But, but right now, while we're in this emergency, that's not the time to be attacking. And I have seen a few people attacking uh, from the Lincoln project, attacking some of the candidates back before we had uh, uh, Biden was the choice. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm still going to promote their videos and, uh, and all of that. I just, I just, you know, and I agree with you that if you were a Trump supporter and you've seen the light, then, Hey, welcome aboard, you know, because we all make mistakes. I don't know if you know David Weissman, but he, he's somebody who also, I mean, he's completely changed his tune. So I appreciate that. Yeah. And I, and, and to that point, and I know you have to go, but to that point, I think the Democrats would really, instead of, you know, I mean, yes, we, we need fighters and we need to be able to 
go up toe-to-toe with Republicans. But I think what the Democrats fail to do is educate their own. And I can point to 2014 very specifically and say during that midterm election, Democrats failed to really back Obama and back the ACA, and I think that hurt them. I think that they need to point out why they're so effective at governing. They need to point out their economies, what they've brought to American life, whether it's Medicare for all or um, the 40-hour work week. You know, the Lawrence O'Donnell wrote a whole thing about it for West Wing, all the things that liberals did. So, you know, I mean, it, we don't necessarily have to be in attack mode all the time. We could just be in education, you know, like explaining to people yeah. why you need Democrats because we're, you know, what they have done for people and for the economy and for the country and the middle class. So, you know, yeah. I, I just like to see them do that a little bit more. So No, they're too modest. You're right. Absolutely yeah. right. And that's thought that the Democratic ads can be much more proud and boastful if, yes. they, if, you, if you want. And I think... But, 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 but the, what the Lincoln Project and the, um, you know, Republicans against Trump and all those groups yeah. have got right is that this is a referendum on Trump. This yes. election, it's almost irrelevant what policies put people, anyone, well, Trump doesn't have a single policy no. at all. Um, and the Democrats obviously have some, but it's almost irrelevant. People are voting because the last election was uh, about character. Mm-hmm. And that was my biggest issue with it is that. I couldn't understand how people could vote uh, against, you know, morally it was wrong. This guy was wrong. Yeah. Character-wise, it was wrong. And I think this is a, a character referendum and a moral referendum on what America is. Yeah. And I think if you understand that, you're going to win the election. And, and it's not about, you know, health care for all or any, any of those things. Those are all things that can be done down the line or yeah. discussed once we've got, you know, we've fixed We've got Uncle Joe in to steady the ship. Yes. <laughs> um, but, but, but I think that, that, that they do, they have recognized this is a referendum on Trump. It's, a, it's about character. It's about morals. It's about country, mm-hmm. caring about the country yeah. and, not, and not something else. So I, I, I do appreciate them, and I think they've been almost in the vanguard of, of, uh, of, of the campaign, in a way. Yeah, well, they've definitely, um, I, I think one of, one of their goals is to get under Trump's skin, and I think they've done that. So I think, you know, yeah. I'm all for that, too. I mean, even though we know an angry Trump is a dangerous Trump, no matter what, he's dangerous. So, you know, I'd, I'd like for him to know that Republicans, or at least people who used to be Republicans, are now going after him. And, yeah. and I do appreciate it. I appreciate anybody, I appreciate anybody who is going to, to vote for Joe Biden. And, you know, I mean, because there's a certain group of Americans who feel that both parties are, are the same and they're not going to vote for Biden. And so, uh, you know, unfortunately, that means um, we do have to rely on some of these people who helped create them in the first place. Um, yep. But they understand what the danger is now. So, you know, hey, we'll take it. In times of war, you have strange bedfellows and you form coalitions with unexpected people and it's all about winning and that's what we need to do. So that's Absolutely. what we need to do. But uh, I just want to—I yes. just want to say, first of all, thank you for coming on the show. I've enjoyed your work. I, I've, you know, I mean, I've known who you are since Best in Show. That's where I became aware of you. Um, and oh. then, obviously, I've seen you out doing your thing, and uh, and also on Twitter. Uh, very happy to learn that you're a Hollywood liberal elite, and um, <laughs> just so grateful that you came on the show and, and and talked with me. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. So, uh, where should people find you? Well, on Twitter, I'm at, at Real Jim Piddock, 
um, as opposed to the fake Jim Piddock. <laughs> I am actually real, real Jim Piddock. And uh, I have a website that probably needs to be updated because I <laughs> just, it's called the www.jimpiddock.com, but that's just really professional stuff on there, acting and writing and blah, blah, blah. And I probably need to update it. Um, <laughs> so otherwise, I don't know, Google me and then sort of print it out and throw darts <laughs> at the picture. Um, that's what I do. Uh, so, yeah, uh, um, it's a pleasure. Pleasure well, talking well, to you and having a good rant. Well, thank you. And I will definitely include those links in the description of the show. Um, take care. And, you know, I hope I hope uh, everything works. out. I'm sure everything will be fine as far as your your acting gigs. And it'll just probably take a little longer than you were hoping for. But that's good, like for all of us. So anyway. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, well thank, thank you, for... you so much. Talk soon. All right. Take care. Bye bye. Well, that was really cool. I was really I, I, I know it sounds fangirly and he's has this huge resume of all different things. And of course, I focus on Best in Show because A, that's one of my favorite movies. B, he got to work with Fred Willard and he was so funny. He totally held his own. I love hearing the story. I love hearing the inside stories about it. So I'm so glad that I got to talk to him. And I knew, I mean, I know he's a liberal because I know his work on Twitter. So I wasn't surprised there. But it is interesting to talk to somebody, you know, from another country and to get their take on it, especially somebody from England with the whole Brexit thing going on. Um, I always, you know, whenever I have the opportunity to talk to someone who's English or had, have, has lived in England, um, I love to just hear their take. And it wasn't surprising. But again, I really enjoy it. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. I could tell and I'll just be real brief about this. And hopefully you're still listening. Initially, there was a little bit of feedback coming on my end, and I was trying to fix it. I think I eventually fixed it, but so I apologize for that. But you know, I I do these interviews on a phone, and sometimes that happens. And just just so you know, there's a couple ways I can do interviews. I can do them on the phone, or I can use something like Skype. There's a couple other uh, websites that you can utilize that you can record the call. Uh, while everybody's online, but the, but it's it's difficult because the person has to have headphones. It's better if they have a microphone. If they don't have one of those things, and I'm sure I can't even remember which one they need more than the other, and I think it's headphones. But there's off, often a um, like you can hear what you know an echo or a time delay. And on Skype, there is a thing where if I'm talking and somebody interrupts me then I get cut off instead of just having the flow of like, you know, sometimes people just interrupt each other. So, and that's like a natural conversational thing. But when you're doing it on something like Skype, it gets, it sounds funky. So I always prefer to use the phone. Anyway, that's, that's, you know, excuse the fact that there might've been a little bit of feedback coming from the phone. I, I could hear a little bit of my echo. It wasn't terrible. Um, there, you know, I did my best and here we go. But Everybody, I'm sure, heard him, and he was great, and I, I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly enjoyed that show. I enjoy talking to actors and getting their takes, and I, I specifically love Hollywood liberal elitists because, you know, I used to be one. Now I'm a, I'm a D.C. liberal elitist, <laughs> and uh, it's just so much fun to be an elitist. Anyway, um, all right, so let's see. What, where am I going to go with this? I guess I could just say, don't forget... My mom wrote a book called The Melt, and it's, a, it's about a global pandemic, but it focuses on life after the pandemic. So even though there is 
uh, a good portion of the book that just kind of covers what happened during the pandemic and like 95% of the population was killed off. There's a really, you know, the, the second half of the book is strong emphasis on rebuilding and that community of people. And she drew from the headlines, really. I mean, she was drawing from real life, whether it was, you know, dealing with misogyny or um, sexism or racism or any of that, plus the good stuff about humanity. And I just thought, you know, it's, it was a great book. So anyway, that's on Amazon. It's called The Melt. You can find my books on Amazon under Kimberly A. Johnson. I've got Peyton's Choice, which is about a teenager who has an abortion because I'm just so controversial. And then there's The Virgin Diaries, An American Woman, and Ain't No Sunshine. I have four books out, so check them out. You can find me on Twitter at author Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E-Y. Don't forget that extra E for the Y. And thanks for listening. Looking forward to next week. I think, let me think, next week uh, there is no there is no um, patrons-only show. That'll be the following week. So it'll be two shows next week, and I will see you then. Stay safe.